We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. This is Dave Debo. On the program today, we have discussion on a couple of different areas, all of them interesting and fascinating, though. Do stay with us. Coming up in just a little bit, Reverend Al and Vivian Robinson. During the blizzard, they opened the doors to their sanctuary and hosted about 150 people who would have otherwise been stranded in the snow. They'll talk a little bit about how the blizzard was managed coming up. Also, later in the program, Sarah Sadri is here. She's an Iranian activist locally working on the rights of women. Anjali Preston will be here for that. But first, I did want to just take a moment to talk about something that happened yesterday that's pretty significant for the East Side. The proposed community benefit agreement for a new Buffalo Bills stadium was approved by the landlord agency of state government, and it includes at least $3 million a year for a range of needs. It'll be decided each year by some sort of oversight committee. A broad summary of the agreement was approved. It includes support for mental health and food insecurity and even the need for some public art on the outside. It talks a little bit about a program to include people of color and low-income individuals and veterans and women and even members of the LGBTQ community in the project. It includes job training. It includes a set-aside for hiring of minority and women-owned businesses, but also a set-aside after the fact to make sure that some of the purchases made by concessionaires in the stadium are are dedicated to MWBEs. It includes support for the disabled. It includes a commitment to higher prevailing wages and a project labor agreement, and it includes even support for recycling programs. It includes a transportation component that would put a transportation hub at the stadium and try at least to extend more transportation options in there. The entire agreement is not being made public. A summary of it was voted on. And with that, let's go to Erie County Legislature Chair April Baskin briefing the media yesterday about everything that's in there. Yeah, we are finally at a place where we have the bones of the CBA essentially nearly done. Um, As I said in the meeting, we have uh, outlined a very detailed summary. There are some nuances that are not included in it, but I think the biggest takeaways are uh, we do have a historic CBA on our hands, and I commend the county executive and Governor Hochul for uh, partnering with me and leading that charge with the Buffalo Bills, and I commend the Buffalo Bills for uh, doing a good job with the philanthropic uh, community giving that they already do and going above and beyond that. So we have um, outlined uh, $3 million a year over the course of the lease, which essentially when you include the CPI will be more than $100 million um, in valued uh, contributions to the community. We have a CVA. That's something that's a big deal. We've never had one in a bill's lease negotiation in history. 
we have community oversight of a CBA. So there will be uh, nine people appointed from uh, the public to be able to serve with the bills and make decisions on how that $3 million a year gets allocated across Erie County. Um, and something that's very, very special to me was um, the caveat that is specific to uh, minority and women inclusion post-stadium. We, we talk a lot about uh, MWBE inclusion on construction, but that's not anything innovative. That's state and federally mandated. So this CBA goes above and beyond what is being required um, by us and, uh, and the bills are committing to after the stadium is done, when it comes to utilizing workforce and supplies, they have a percentage commitment to spend X amount of dollars of their revenue with minority and women suppliers. So I'm very proud. I don't think uh, that there is a CBA in the nation that compares to what Buffalo and Erie County is getting. And I just can't commend my colleagues in the legislature, uh, County Executive Poland Cars and Governor Hochul, uh, the Pagulas and the Buffalo Bills team for getting us here. Is that what makes it historic? It is historic. Yes. What makes it historic? The things that I just outlined, one, it's historic for our region. We've never had one before. We have community, 100% community oversight. Nine people are going to be appointed uh, from the general public to work with uh, billionaires, essentially, on how they're going to spend their revenue in our community. Um, we have a commitment above the traditional MWBE inclusion that is set by the federal government in the state. And after the stadium is done and people are going to games, there's still going to be an intentional percentage of revenue from the Buffalo Bills spent on supplies that come from businesses that are owned by women and minorities. So um, these these are revolutionary things in the dollar amount, $3 million a year of, uh, of value. And um, some of those, some of that will be cash. Some of that will be uh, community investments, but all of it is going to be decided on uh, by the CBOC, the Community Benefits Oversight Community. Uh, that, 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 community uh, board will have the opportunity to review what the Buffalo Bills does with their philanthropic annual giving. And I think that's something that's very unique. I don't know any community oversight committee that works with their private NFL team and opening up their books and seeing how they're doing um, in terms of giving back to the community. So what we're doing here in Buffalo and Erie County is something that's revolutionary and we should be very proud. Is there something you wanted that you didn't get? Uh, yeah, a lot of things, <laughs> but where we are, but I'm still proud. I'm still proud. I mean, I, I, I would have asked for everything that Santa Claus could provide in the North Pole when it, because, um, I, I, I'm someone that is really committed to the community being the best that it can be, but we, we got very, very close. Um, I would have liked to see some neighborhoods specified. We know the hardship that East Buffalo has faced, um, in the last few years, we saw the uh, disproportionate positive COVID cases at the top of 2020 and 14215 zip code. We saw the targeted mass shooting this past May and um, the, the blizzard that just hit us all this Christmas. Uh, the deaths were disproportionately black, 25 deaths black, um, up nearly 50. So um, I would have liked to see the black communities more or less specified um, in the CBA, but I can understand for legal reasons why that's not necessarily appropriate. But I do believe with having c community oversight, I do believe with what we've already seen from the Buffalo Bills in terms of their attention to the black community during hardship, that we're going to continue to see some reinvestment there. So we haven't lost anything at all. That's Erie County Legislature Chair April Baskin briefing the media yesterday 
on the community benefit agreement reached at least uh, at this level with the Stadium Landlord Corporation for the Buffalo Bills Stadium. More on that topic in the coming days, but in the meantime, stay with us. Thomas O'Neill White, up after this. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? But you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting wned.org live or use the WNED-PBS app. WNED-PBS can go everywhere you go with the WNED-PBS app. Go to the app to watch shows like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, Frontline, and Compact Science. Even watch on the go with the WNED-PBS live stream and a 24-7 stream of WNED-PBS kids. You can also see the full television schedule and what's on right now from the app. Download the WNED-PBS app wherever you get your apps. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and with me today to talk about the city of Buffalo's response to the blizzard, this latest blizzard, is Al and Vivian Robinson, pastors at Spirit of Truth Urban Ministry on Gold Street in the city of Buffalo. Al and Vivian, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Can you tell us a little bit about your church for those who may not know about it? We are a non-denominational church in the Lovejoy area. We love to put Jesus on blast. That what that's what we known for. That's our just motto, putting yeah. Jesus on blast. And your congregation is on Gold Street, um, obviously non-denominational. Just tell us about tell us about the neighborhood where you where you uh, have your church. Well, we're in we're in the village of Lovejoy, and uh, initially it was it was quite difficult uh, in Lovejoy, but. As you know, God puts us there with a purpose, and, and that, that's why we were there. And, and so we began to thrive. Uh, Lovejoy is now a, a beautiful neighborhood. It is, it, is, it is very diverse. It is filled with lots of love, a lot of people. It's just a, it's a nice place to, to raise, your, raise your family. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great city neighborhood. We get into this storm. I mean, you guys have made international news about your response, sheltering over a hundred people during the storm. Can you take us through um, what happened? You sent out, Al, you sent out a Facebook post uh, just checking up on folks on Christmas Eve. Um, can you take us through what happened after that? Well, yeah, so I I sent that out in response to something that my wife has posted and it got shared 1,700 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had lost power. You know, yeah. So the neighborhood has just lost power, and my wife and I, we still had power, and we're looking at each other like, you know, we're we're getting ready to have a Netflix weekend. It's Christmas weekend. We're uh-huh. gonna just chill. We're gonna you know lay back and and just enjoy, right? So we go shopping in the morning, uh, something that I don't 
care to do too often, but we bought food for <laughs> we we had purchased food for the, for the rest of the year as we have mm-hmm. you know we have quite a few kids and grandkids and and we expected to see them sometime during the holiday uh, before the New Year's, and so we purchased enough food to last us through that. Dutiful know. children, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it it, it was uh, you know it was, it was something my wife prompted me. She says, "Listen." Um, Everybody around us, they don't have electricity, you know, uh, and temperatures are starting to drop. And, and we didn't know that we were going to fall into what's called a bombogenesis or a cyclone bomb that, that just pounded Buffalo. And so I look at my wife and I say, babe, I mean, why would the Lord let us have all this electricity and, and we're still got our heat, we got everything, and, and yet the neighborhood is is like dead. I mean, there's there's no electricity anywhere. And she looked at us and, and she looked back at me, excuse me, and and she says, we're going to have to open the doors of the church. And so she posted it and it was shared 1,700 times. And then we got our first phone call. You know, we had a family come in from Jamestown. You know, she was pregnant oh. and she had two her baby's father and a friend. And they were, you should see them, they were like in tears. And then after that, we had another gentleman come in. Then we had another family who was stuck and she had... Um, just got off from work, and then she called her sister to come help, and they got stuck. And then the children, they were stuck, and then she had blisters on it's like third-degree burns uh, from, the, uh, from, the, from, the, from the cold, mm-hmm. the ther- hypothermia. And then we had a gentleman come in. I never seen um, ice frozen on someone's face. So after that, then you have people coming in that had 30 minutes to live because of their oxygen you know, they were on oxygen and they only had 30 minutes to live. And the stories of these people coming in, it was like, became so emotional. Mm-hmm. We were in tears. They were in tears because they thought they were going to die. And the, and the first people to show up were a a pregnant uh, woman. Mo- a pregnant woman and her husband? Yes. Uh, I feel like I've heard that story somewhere before. Yeah. Seeking shelter? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, now, but now... Had had you opened your church uh, before during times of inclement weather? No, we never did that. We was like basically sitting at home, like my husband said, just enjoying the night, enjoying about to watch Netflix. And then it was something in my spirit that said, open up these doors. And if we didn't open up these doors, we ha- would have had all these bodies in our Lovejoy area. Right. It would have been catastrophic, just catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Because we had truck drivers coming in from Michigan and people from getting off from work, they were stopped right where they were. Right, at North Ogden and William. All mm-hmm. up in that area. Have, have the two of you uh, lived in western New York your whole life? Yes. Is, Born and raised. Is this, and, and, and now I know you've got some stats, is this the worst storm you've ever seen? <laughs> Absolutely. This is the, the, you know, I made it through blizzard of 77. And, uh, it, you know, I was a young man at that time. It was That was fun, right? It was, uh, you didn't realize the death toll, but in the city of Buffalo, I believe that 29 people perished in the blizzard of 77. You know, but, but apples to apples and oranges to oranges, this is the most catastrophic loss of life I have ever seen from a blizzard in my, in my, in the existence of the city of Buffalo. You just can't find any records that compare to the records. We sustained 70 mile per hour winds for over 37 hours comparatively to 77. That was just 16 hours. You know, so this is something that was, this is something that wasn't just, you know, stay home, you know, it's going to be bad outside. This was a catastrophic storm that you know, should have been conveyed with the urgency that you could lose your, your life. life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned earlier 
you housed over a hundred people in your church during the storm. Was it was it difficult to feed, to clothe, to provide essentials to them? How did that process work? So what happened was when the people started coming in, you automatically are in a mode that these people need to be comforted. Comforted. They needed blankets. They need sheets. They needed everything, and they needed medical attention as well. So with me owning a restaurant. And having coming from a big family, we know how to multiply. We know how to stretch food, mm-hmm. and that's what we did. We I went in the freezer. We just started pulling everything out and stretching everything, and also in the process of that, making sure that people were comfortable. We were putting chairs together. People were laying on the floor and just making sure they were comfortable, making sure, you know, we kept them alive. Because that was the whole thing is every person that came in there thought they were going to die. So that's what's the main focus on that. And, and you guys like convened almost like search parties. Yes. To go to go out and find people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. What did that look like? Well, Vivian started receiving all these messages uh, on her messenger about, listen, I'm stuck at like t- 300 block of Gold Street. I'm stuck at uh, the 400 block of, of uh, uh, Green or whatever. I mean, in Lovejoy. So it, we're a really tight-knit community. I mean, we know who's on what blocks. I mean, we have cameras all over the place. It's just a, a beautiful, tight-knit community uh, that's that's in great development. So we we know where who is, right? So, But when we were met with the blinding, absolutely blind, couldn't see past your nose. Mm-hmm. It felt like razors were just slicing across your face while that, well, that wind was swirling around. We, tap, we put together a list, a master list, and we started dispatching snowmobiles to those individuals to have them pulled back. Like she had just mentioned that an individual is running out of oxygen in his oxygen tank. We have a, a Facebook page, and we can kind of you know, link people to resources relatively quickly and get those resources to the church relatively quickly and, and, and feed people. You had just asked how we were able to do that. We ran out of food in two days. We just shopped for the rest of the year. For We have eight kids. I mean, uh, nine children and eight grandkids. So that's a lot of food, right? Yeah, and food. we ran out of that food in, in no time. And, you know, people were bringing food on sleds uh, via snowmobile. And we were, my wife and her magnificence was able to, to do triage everything, you know, uh, for, it was 154 people. 154 and, people. Yes. yes. Yeah, what were you going to say, Vivian? So when he, what happened was with the snowmobile people, they would have a dot. They would follow this dot because you, the visibil- visibility was so bad, they had to use a dot on their phone as a locator. You see that dot on the iPhone? They yes. would they would dra- Bill Kless and his team would take people to the dot and they would just look at their phone because you couldn't see in front of your vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it described where the roads were and 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 it really worked out well. It 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 we were able to extract almost sixty people. And he carried people home. That lady on your yeah. back. I also carried a, a, a woman that does uh, a cancer recovery survivor, and uh, she uh, lost the use of her legs, and I. Uh, Carried her two and a half blocks back to the church. Wow, wow. So, so being on the front lines of saving people's lives, uh, from being there in the middle of it, how do you feel about the city of Buffalo's storm management? Well, there, there's always opportunity to do much better. Uh, you know, the, the people were told, and they understood. Let me let me rephrase that. People understood that there would be no emergency services at all. 
right? That you, you are on your own right now. The storm has hit. You're on your own. Do not go out. Do not do this. But these people were already thinking that this is just another four feet of snow in Buffalo. Right. You yeah, know we're I mean? Buffalonians. Yeah, we right. can handle it. <laughs> you know, they're thinking, oh, it's Piece just another. Cake. Yeah, they, they had no idea of, of, of the. Severity. First of all, it's, an, it's a meteorological anomaly to have a bombogenesis occur in 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 this 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 area underneath the 49th parallel it it just doesn't occur i mean it's once in an every, every generation and so i don't think people understood the, 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 just the magnitude of the catastrophic loss of life that could happen and they they just didn't and i think that that for starters uh should have been conveyed you can lose your life today if you go outside you can you lose your life uh and they give the warnings he gave the warning on monday he gave the warning on tuesday but i it you know in my opinion people just did not believe that they could lose their lives and they lost their lives and then some people they were at work target was open you know, because I really believe that people didn't think that this storm, this blizzard, was going to be that severe. Because if they would have known, I don't think these stores would have been open, these liquor stores, um, a lot of these places wouldn't have been open. And the employers wouldn't have had these people come to work because a lot of these people were working. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost nurses. I mean, these are people that are out there giving their lives to save me and you. And these people's lives were lost, you know, in the storm. I, I, I just from from the very beginning, there should have been uh, uh, something that would allow just common people to know that this is just not a regular you know, blizzard. It, this is this is a catastrophic category five blizzard. I mean, there should have been, you know, they, they should have been able to understand it at that level and they just didn't. I didn't even understand it at that level. Like I said, my wife and I were going to hunker down, make it through the four feet of snow like we always have mm-hmm. in the past and, and, you know, keep it moving. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. Thomas O'Neill White here with City, uh, excuse me, Spirit of Truth Urban Ministry in Lovejoy, <laughs> love oh pastors Al and Vivian Robinson. Do you think it's it's you know with the city and the county they should have they should have you know maybe a week ahead been like hey this storm is coming you know really ha- uh, uh, enforced uh-huh. the this that this is hey this is a once once in a generation type of storm you know close things down the the Thursday before um before the storm was gonna hit you know everybody get home by do your shopping and all that stuff before noon stay in your houses do you think the the city and the county could have done a better job with that i absolutely believe that that if there's a driving band is a driving band mm-hmm. don't drive don't get caught on the roads you know and and employers and, and manufacturers everybody should Everyone. have known that there was a driving band and not one tire should be rolling on those streets right but they, 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 the driving ban was not enforced. It was not enforced. Even the National Guard would, would be driving with people driving on the streets. Uh, and it, it was just, it was a debacle. I mean, don't drive means don't drive. Mm-hmm. The 33, mm-hmm. like that, um, the older lady just was going out to do their annual Christmas event. You know, she died. She had no idea that. She had no idea. If these people had known that this could have taken their lives from them, they would have never ventured out there. They would have never gone to work in their scrubs, hopped in their car, and then gone home in their scrubs. Uh-huh. They, they would have never done these things. Right. They just did. It wasn't conveyed in a way that would make a person believe that they could die. It, 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 you know, and, and then it was reactive, right? You bring in 465 pieces of equipment after you realize how difficult it's about to be, uh, Buffalo has great resources. Uh, 
I really think that those resources could have been better spent in, in letting people know that they should not be out there, period. And, uh, you know, National Grid, you know, they're, they're saying that, the, you know, there were ice, iced up uh, power stations, right? The, the, they didn't even know that it was about to be a catastrophic storm like this, you know? And so now, now their power goes down, which then causes all these people to die and freeze to death in their homes where there is just no heat. That is, these guys are using their gas stoves to heat their houses. There is no other method mm -hmm. to heat your house other than a gas stove. And so there's a lot of disagreements that, that, that we have. I mean, these things, these are 19th century homes. Buffalo's got the oldest like home stock in the nation and, and it's hemorrhaging energy. And honestly, just there's so much more that could just be done better. And then we have four warming centers. Yes. Four. Mm -hmm. one, is, one was a Hennepin Center in Lovejoy and it went down, lost electricity. Okay. I want to circle back to that in, in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing I wanted to ask you, though, you know, uh, what what does what does the word sanctuary mean to you? And has it taken on a different meaning after what went on in the storm? So a sanctuary to me is a, is a, is a place for people like you and me that are, that are looking at an eminent danger to go to avert or avoid that an eminent danger to a safe place. We want to be safe, act safe and be safe in a safe place, right? S sanctuary now, you know, when, when I'm, I'm going to get on the radio and tell everybody, listen, no emergency services. I've just alerted every thug, savage in, in person out there that they can break in and just rob and do whatever they want and run the streets. They were, they were breaking into the to Aaron's rental store. I mean, stealing TVs. You know, mm -hmm. how's that a life-saving measure? You're yeah. not saving anyone's life. I mean, I get someone taking some uh, formula. Oh, oh, yeah, you know, of course. But, taking but, the essentials. Right, right. You know, Understandable. I, I get right. it. I mean, people's lives are on the line. I, I get that. But running down the street with a mattress or running down the street with some TVs and that, I mean, it, that that was that just was that, was a that. that was just a debacle. And it wasn't their sanctuary. And, and, and <laughs> so they're thinking, hey, you know what? Well, all these law-abiding people are going and doing this. It's our chance to get out here and do this, and that's what happened. And Vivian, what what does sanctuary mean to you? That's basically the same thing my husband is saying. And we honestly, we I remember back in the days, it was a song, "Make Me a Sanctuary." That's how I'm looking at it because we were that sanctuary for those people. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we were that sanctuary. We opened up our homes and we opened up this sanctuary so these people can have peace, they can have joy, they can be comforted, and they can know that this is a place that they can be loved on. I was uh, I was on an anchor Zoom meeting on storm response a few weeks ago, um, and uh, the wonderful Denise Barr brought up an interesting suggestion. Neighborhood hubs where people can go before a bad weather event. Uh -huh where there's food, there's clothing, there's shelter. So emergency services aren't stretched thin, right. you know, running across the running across the city to save people. Uh -huh. um, the two of you basically created one yourself in your neighborhood. Um, but what if there was one for every neighborhood in the city? It would be amazing because these people would have had, like I call it a sanctuary, they would have had an outlet as well for themselves. Because I look back at that one person that was on... Um, Kensington and Bailey. Clinton, okay. on Clinton, you know, how she was in her car, not realizing that there's a fire station right up the street from where she was located. There's a church at that corner as well. 
that, you know, there is places she could have gone to if she would have known that as well. So I feel that there should be an outlet for people to go to, not only four, but many. Right. Because right. people are saying, well, you were the only church that was available. We have people in our neighborhood that has keys. So if we didn't live in the neighborhood, they would still have access to the building to let people in. I think that more people should have access to their community mm-hmm. as well to be able to. But let... isn't that a community? What a community church is? Mm-hmm. I mean, aren't aren't we the the face and hands of God? I mean, aren't we the ones that are supposed to to be there and be available in a time of catastrophic loss of life? Mm-hmm. I mean, so we get trained, right? I'm I'm a New York State chaplain with the Chaplains Task Force, and we're trained via FEMA on how to respond to these things. And th- that training came in very handy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my my wife went right to it. I went right to it. We just just went on auto mode. But a, a church should be the place whereby people can go to be saved. Uh-huh. I mean, that's we're a hospital for for sin sick people or people that are just out there in, in in a bad way. We have to open our doors, and and it's normal for a church to be there and available. When you have a catastrophe like this, this wasn't anything that was, you know, uh, outrageous or, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, let's open up the churches, the last defense. This is the first defense. A church is supposed to be in their community to help that community grow and to help that community through all circumstances. We've got about three minutes left. um, And I wanted to ask you both um, something I ask every every guest that I have. um, And it's very broad, but. What does Buffalo need? Um, not just in terms of storm management, but, but overall as, as community leaders, as, as religious leaders in your community. What would you say to that? I don't think that Buffalo should be as separate and, and cliquish as it is right now. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's extremely cliquish. Like, you go to that neighborhood, you go to this neighborhood. You know, God put us in a neighborhood that, you know, honestly just didn't want us there. I mean, let's just be call it for a spade for a spade. Mm-hmm. And, and only God can do what he did in this neighborhood. The neighborhood is absolutely beautiful. It, it, it is filled with Bengalis and all kinds. On Christmas morning, we woke up to six nationalities. And, and my wife had all this ethnic food to be made. And, and it was just beautiful. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Buffalo needs to be less cliquish, more love, more good neighbors, uh-huh. uh, and, and actually not have people knocking on your door and you turning them away because they're they're freezing to death. Right. And this blizzard was was a great example yes. of Buffalo being the city of good neighbors. That's right. Uh-huh. Vivian, yes. what does Buffalo need? Buffalo needs more love. They, they need more people to come together and be more doers. You know, because one of the things people were saying, well, I couldn't get out. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. But you could have made a phone call. Mm -hmm. You know, I think communication is the key. Keep communicating. Keep showing love and keep believing that we are Buffalo strong. We are. Because when you look at the front page of that challenger, it should have been more faces on the front page of that challenger to indicate that more people came together Mm -hmm. to build up and to save these people. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White talking about the blizzard and the heroic response by Al and Vivian Robinson of Spirit of Truth Urban Ministry. Al and Vivian, thank you so much for thank being you with for us today. Us. Thank you thank for, having, you for us. having us. Coming up next, Angelie Preston talks women's rights in Iran with activist Sarah Sadri. You are listening to WBFO News. Hey, have you seen WNED PBS's Compact Science or Shakespeare's Greatest Hits? Here's five reasons to check them out. 
Compact Science is so fun, high energy, and educational that it won three prestigious awards, a communicator award, a telly, and an award from the New York State Broadcasters Association. And Shakespeare's Greatest Hits also received a communicator award and a telly for cinematically portraying some of Shakespeare's best monologues in bite-sized videos. Check them out at WNED.org or on YouTube. Watch the WNED PBS original production, The Adirondacks. We've come closer here to a, a working balance between the natural world and the human world than just about any place on Earth. The Adirondacks, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? But you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting WNED.org live or use the WNED-PBS app. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Buffalo What's Next. I'm Angeli Preston, and today's guest is Sarah Sadri. Sarah Sadri was born and raised in Iran and now resides in Buffalo. She received her degree in biomedical engineering from the University at Buffalo and is currently working as an engineer. She is an activist fighting for women's rights in Iran with the Women Life Freedom Movement. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good. Yourself? I'm good. Thank you. Let's talk about women, life, freedom. What is that? So this is basically started as a movement for, in Iran, started as, so with all happening with women being as a second class in Iran and getting harassed and uh, over their mandatory hijab in Iran and a girl named Masa meaning 22 in 22 years old, died by modality police. And this movement started over that and still happening. And now it's getting bigger and bigger. Obviously, um, men's and women's now are together fighting for revolution. But, and this start as, this gonna be the first revolution happening as a, a feminist movement. I feel we're very proud of that. And, if you are a feminist, if you are fighting for a human right, animal right, I feel like we we should be we should support this movement, and hopefully we'll see that day coming soon. The Islamic Republic regime that came into power in Iran in 1979, and they are still currently in power today. Talk about the treatment of women in Iran. You grew up in, you were born in Iran and you grew up in Iran. So talk about that. Um, yeah, so um, I moved to U.S. when I was 17. I've been going back. Obviously, I really wanted to go back like next summer, but uh, with all these things happening, I don't think it, I don't think it's happening. But 
obviously we always been treated as a second class. Always in school, they told us uh, you have to wear hijab, not have your hair out, long dress, your nails, the way you look, not be able to even uh, wax your hair, like the hair on your face. I mean, these things can very distribute you and uh, damage you as a woman that um, you cannot even look the way you want and always have to cover yourself. So, I mean, it's hard to be looked as a second class all the time. And there's always a voice hit in your face, like on your head that, um, hey, um, cover your face for me. If a guy see you, then it's your own fault if anything happens to you and all of that. What are some of the things that women do here in the States freely that women cannot do in Iran? It's unbelievable, but it can be very simple things such as um, riding a bicycle, going out with a man that who is not your fiance or your husband. Um, if the modality police stop you and ask you questions, if it's going to be like, oh, just my boyfriend or my guy friend, you can be in trouble. You, they can take you or the fact that you cannot get out of the country without having a signature of your husband or your father. You don't have the right to divorce. I mean, all those things. And 90% of the women in Iran are educated in science and they cannot have a basic human right as a woman can really affect your life. I mean, you don't have any right to do anything. Most of the times, there's always have to be a man with you to approve what you're doing, what you're not doing, the way you're looking. What about applying for a passport? Um, yeah, that too. Um, you need a signature. Like I had to have a paper that's signed by my father if I want to apply for my passport, if I'm yeah getting out of the country, everything. Yeah. Are you afraid or has it ever crossed your mind? Um, because when, when we think about repressive governments uh, like the Islamic Republic regime, they get compared to the Taliban in Afghanistan. And we've heard several uh, several stories about how oppressive they are towards women uh, in that country. Are you afraid that uh, if the if the revolution is not successful, that Iran could become more oppressed like Afghanistan? Yeah, it could be. But at the same time, I don't want to say that this revolution is not going to happen because people are very clear about that. The actions are amazing. Uh, people in Iran or out of Iran, we all want this revolution to happen. And I, if it's not happening this year, it's happening next year. I don't want to even think that Iran one day would be like Afghanistan. And I think we've been very successful with every point that, or anything that we wanted to happen. Yeah, hopefully we'll see the revolution happen soon. And do you have family in Iran still? I do. I do have my uncles, my grandparents. Um, they're all still in Iran. Um, and I know they go out. They've been, they've been loud. They go to all the protests have been happening. I mean, I'm very worried about them all the time. It's hard to see your families out there. And obviously with 
if you follow the news of Iran, you see how harsh the mandatory police is, how the Sepah and Basij been um, acting with all these protests, um, raping girls, killing people, I mean, hitting them, and all of those. I mean, it's pretty scary, especially like when I see my cousins or girls, they go out. Like, I always think I'm like, what's going to happen if they take them away? Like, you don't know what's going to happen to them. That's the worst thing. And uh, with all these executions happening, it's uh, pretty scary. But, and uh, I mean, obviously, we know that the network and the internet has been down. Uh, I barely talk to my family um, or whenever we're talking, it's just like, hey, can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? And it just goes by that. The internet being down, uh, is the internet controlled by the government there? Yes. So they're intentionally uh, keeping the internet down to prevent to prevent uh, what's going on in Iran uh, from getting out to the world and, and preventing uh people like you here in the states from communicating with families still in iran yes so um obviously like we cannot talk to our family so the rest of the world and social media they cannot see or hear what is happening in iran and also i believe if you bring the internet down to a certain level like if your phone is showing 3g or 2g they can hear your communication and uh, they can access to your personal, like, um, texting. So the internet has been into some certain level, and they can only, uh, like, you can only have a phone call with some specific apps, which uh, people were afraid of using those. So, um, yeah, I think those are the main reasons of the internet and network being shut down. Do you know how the current environment is, is there now in Iran? Have you spoken uh, to anyone recently? I have not. Uh, I just had like a phone, like a 10 minutes FaceTime with my grandparents. Obviously, it's been very bad. But all the videos I've been seeing is just unbelievable. Like, just like sometimes, I mean, I am born and raised there. I know what is happening there. I, but I feel like at this point, when I see it, it's just like so hard to believe. I'm like... So how can I how can I show that to my non-Iranian friends that this is what is happening? How this is how environment is. I want to take it back to uh, when we we met um, in person a few <laughs> months ago, and you told a story um, about harassment that you faced walking down the street. Can you just can you share that story with us? Yeah. Well, I was uh, twelve years old. I was uh, going to my a grandfather house to study I remember it was my final time and um, someone harassed me from the back and uh, first I mean you know you're as a 12 year old like you cannot think straight to see what is happening to you and what is that like so it was like a big shock to me that time and you know when you're younger it's just like it's instead of like solving the problem you just like try to ignore it so that all of that came up and obviously now that I'm getting older I'm just seeing how damaging that is for a girl and for the whole like the society is like the girls in that age and um obviously I not wearing any makeup or my hair out 
you know, a long dress. I remember exactly I was wearing a black shawl and a black long dress, uh, black pants. And I just had my backpack uh, with my books. So it was not anything like looking any way that it would attract me look attractive. So, yeah, I'm just I mean, it doesn't matter with mandatory forced hijab or not. When there's a sick person out there, it can damage you. So that's the thing. I'm like mandatory hijab is not fixing anything it's just making everything worse and the women's don't want that anymore even men's they don't want that anymore it just it's a force of how you look like how you live it just it's i feel like it's just damaging no matter what what do your relatives who were who remember how iran was prior to 1979 what do they remember about life in iran before the islamic republic regime took over i mean obviously um first i want to start with um actually my grandparents from my mom's side my my grandfather was in jail for 7 years and he was actually about to get executed because he was um, fighting against Islamic regime. So he was taken away. My grandmother didn't take him away and didn't go to jail only because my mom and my um, uncle were so young. I don't, uh, they never really told me exactly how old, but I'm assuming they were young enough for them to not to take my grandma away. So it's like, it was a very dark moment for them. They don't really talk about it. But obviously, it was anything that it was, it was better than what we have with Islamic regime. And people back in time, they were not appreciating it enough. And actually, couple I, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago when my mom and my grandma, they were talking. My grandma mentioned that they chose for the king, the Shah of Iran, to go away. And they chose Islamic regime with closed eyes. And I remember how mad I got because I straight up told them, I'm like, you guys destroyed more than two generations just because you chose Islamic regime with a closed eyes because of how the how it's like how busy it was back in the time in the streets and how people just got hyped up over um, something that they didn't think um, straight. And I'm not saying that I mean, from the books I've been reading and all of that, I'm I'm pretty sure before Islamic regime, there was some other kind of problems. I'm not saying it was perfect, but whatever it was, it was better than what we have right now with the Islamic regime. Yeah, they have their own problems. I'm not saying having a king is good, just one person choosing for a whole country, but whatever it was, I'm sure it was better than what we have right now and people even their generation are saying how sorry they are for choosing with closed eyes and doing this to our generation. And I always tell them, I'm like, you guys are the one they have, you guys have to stood up, have to be on our side, have to fight as well. I don't want to be like, oh, I mean, I'm old now. I just like, I'm done with that. No, you have to fight. You have to come stand outside by my side. You have to fight for the next, like, generation like it's your fault for this happening so yeah when your grandfather was arrested and he spent seven years 
in prison and he was going to be he was going to be executed by the regime what happened that he was that he ended up being released from jail and not executed because we hear that people and children are being killed by the regime and people are being killed in Iran for standing up against the regime uh why was his situation different i am not exactly sure of why but i'm just going to call him lucky but when he always talk like he doesn't really talk about it with me and i feel like they really didn't want it to like talk about it because obviously these things can be very dangerous in iran um but i just want to say he got lucky and maybe because my my mom and my uncle they were very young and uh dad helped him but i mean 7 years in prison for just being disagree with islamic regime like my mom has no memory of her dad when um she was young or how my uncle even he still has that that he gets very sick when something stressful comes up and he um he's he gets rash over his uh face so i mean that all started since they took his dad away yeah it just damaged the whole family basically uh your mom not having any memories of her of her father um is that is this the grandfather we're speaking of now or is this somebody yeah uh, that's my grandfather but she's in contact with him right yeah yeah so yeah, they are uh, they're in contact but i mean she has no memory of when she was young for like all those years and they keep have to move around like for a while she had to move they had to move um out of Tehran moved to Esfahan another um city in Iran to just um work and it was like cheaper to live there let's talk about uh women let's get back to women life freedom this movement that's happening now it's led by young people like yourself talk about that yeah i mean i feel like my generation don't take an answer as a no anymore because we have social media we see how it is living in europe in canada in america they want that freedom they are so educated now they when they see that they they want that too i mean why would you leave in a country that oh when you're going out make sure your hijab is like your hair is covered make sure you're wearing hijab they don't want that anymore and i the economy is just so bad that there's nothing for you to do when um i actually went back to iran uh, last summer and i was talking to my cousin and she was like it's just so bad everything is getting expensive day by day that my generation even if they want to save up to have a car have a house or anything they're not they cannot afford that they cannot buy that so she was like i have no hope for my future there's no hope that i can start anything i can have anything i don't have any of that like what kind of lifestyle is this we're just living daily by daily and just breeding and maybe sometime we go out for a coffee like no we don't want that anymore we want to live we deserve to live but we want our freedom back and um i think that's how started and that's how angry my generation is now 
and they will fight till they get it and they're still fighting and um honestly i'm just like so proud of whoever is still goes out there and fights and honestly it's been very emotional time for the past three and four months for us who just watched the videos and we're trying to do anything that we can out of iran um i know it's just like the tiny steps or obviously it's not as dangerous of what they're doing out there because they they can die any minute they can just get taken away any minute we have a iranian american community here in western new york it's not as large as toronto ontario our neighbors in canada <laughs> but you guys are here so what have what has the iranian american community done uh locally to 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 spread the word about you know what's going on in iran and what can non-iranians like myself do to spread the word and and to help the people of Iran. Yeah, um I mean obviously this interview what you're doing right now means a lot. And um what I've been trying to do because obviously um Buffalo New York is just a very small um town and the, the uh, yeah, the Persian community is just like very small so all I can do is go with educational wise, teach my non-Persian, non-Iranian friends um, what has been happening, what we want, um, what is our goals here and um, tell them what's the truth. Because sometimes I can see in the news like uh, New York Times uh, that the, the what they post for as a, for the uh, news about Iran uh, is just not correct. Uh, it's a lie because I know they work with Nayak, which is the community they have. Uh, the Islamic regime has that community out of Iran. So um, what I can tell them what's the truth, what I want, what's been happening. Um, so, um, I mean, so far we've been very successful. And I do have a couple of my other friends that you interviewed. Uh, we still, we, we are trying to do anything that we can. Um, and try to get people like you and other um, news channels that they're willing to work with us and they're willing to be our voice um, in any way. What has been the response from uh, elected officials, both on the local level and the federal level? Um, so we did have uh, a couple um interviews and um try to get like in a meeting with them um unfortunately the responses haven't been very clear with an us wise overall so um i feel like persian like iranian community out of iran they try to start with canada which i mean you know how big the community is over so i feel like they have more power over there so i feel like we're putting our um focus first on canada or europe or australia and um so when we get all of uh, that and we're clear and then we can work on us but i mean the community in san diego or dc every weekend they've been like in front of the uh, white house uh, they've been pretty cl uh, clear and they want us to be um, um, 
not Islamic, not on Islamic regime side, and be uh, the Iranian um, voice, the people's voice. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, we've been having, uh, I had a couple of interviews, I mean, with you, with Channel 2. Um, I wish there was more. We've been having different events, which you joined. We will definitely have more events coming up. What can elected officials do or what should they be doing to support the Iranian people? So all we want is for U.S. government to kick out the diplomats and Islamic regime kids because we don't think that they do deserve to be uh, living freely in um, U.S. with, especially because they come over here with people's money and they're just, they come here, they live here, and I don't think that's right. So we want them to send these people back or uh, just take their citizenship away uh, or ban their money, ban their accounts. So, um, yeah, that's the only goal, and that's what we want. And we've been in in Europe Parliament. They voted for putting Islamic regime as a terrorist. So, I mean, I'm really hoping that would happen in Canada and the U.S. as well. Is there anything else that you want to let our audience know about the the activism that you do, the country that? you were born in, that you were raised in, the the people in Iran? Is there anything that you want us to know? Yeah, I mean, the, obviously, if you're a feminist, if you are inside of human rights, animal rights, I want you to be on Iranian woman's side. I want you to fight for them. I want you to be their voice out here. Do anything that any anything that you know, just spread the word. And I if you think the Islamic regime is what Iran is, that's a lie. That's not what the truth of Iran is. And um I just I cannot wait for Iran to be open for everyone. Um Iran is just such a beautiful country with so much history, so much background, such a rich culture. And I'm just sad that I cannot, like, I, my friends cannot see that. My non-Iranian friends cannot go back. And I mean, my half of my family, they are Baha'i. And the Baha'is in Iran, uh, obviously, the rest of the only, so Baha'i community and the rest of the con religious um that is in their active in Iran, they cannot be as active that they should be as freely as they have the right to be. And my family been living in the US for the past like 60 years and they never seen Iran. My cousins, they would love to go back and they cannot because of the religious. And um, obviously I'm so sad about that. I always tell them I'm like, one day we'll go back there together with whoever, like with the way we are, however we want it to be, what, with what we believe in, what we don't believe in. And I cannot wait for that to happen. Sarah Sadri, thanks for joining us today. Thank you.
Good morning, this is Charles. You are tuning in to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.